Good morning, saints. Yeah, I am really thankful for our scripture readers. I could just sit and listen to them all morning. So you know that at the beginning of each year, the leadership of the church takes some time. Uh, we've been praying individually for several weeks prior to, but then we take a day and we come together and we pray together and we start talking about what is, what is God saying for us as a congregation. And so that happened earlier this month. And uh, Wayne actually shared with you um, what would have been two weeks ago, I guess, uh, kind of the statement that came out of that. Well, I want to flesh that out a little bit this morning and give us a little bit, uh, bit more of it. So I'm going to read you the statement and then we're going to talk about it. As leaders, God has given us a strong desire and vision to see revival in our lives as well as our community and region. We believe that through four things, bold, persistent prayer, stepping out with expectation, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, walking in unity and living in righteousness, we will see the revival we desire to see in our lives and in our area. Our goal is to continue to cast that vision and equip you, the body, to grow in these ways. So that's kind of the statement. And just as a point of clarification here, um, I want to say that the, the, the term revival, we're, we're really using it in a kind of a, a second best, the way it's traditionally been used in the Christian church, that perhaps it's not the the best way because I don't think it's the word that the New Testament writers would have used um, uh, for, those, for, for those of us who have been brought into new life already. You know, if you think about it, um, if you watch the television shows where there, there's medical stuff and, and somebody guys has a heart attack, he, you know, his heart stops and they put the paddles on and they, it's called reviving because the, the heart has stopped. They're, they're actually, technically, they're dead and they're bringing him back to life. Well, you and I, who have already been brought back, brought into life, we don't need to be revived in that sense. Are you with me? But we do need to be kind of awakened, I think, sometimes. And so it's not real. That, that term, I think, is a little bit, it's the way the Christian church has used it for many years. I just don't think it's the right word. I think really what we're doing is we're, we're talking about awakening to what we've already been given, what we've already been granted through Christ, what we've already been given by the Holy Spirit. So I think um, awakening us, reviving certainly the community, you with me, okay, but awakening us to what God has already done. So does that make sense? I mean, you guys know me well enough. I just want to be precise on words and make sure that Jane's smiling over there. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's, let's pray and then look, look at some of these things. Father, we are, we are grateful that you have already revived us, that you have brought us into your kingdom. And so, Lord, this morning, as we, as we look at these things, we're inviting you to, to, to clarify, to help us to understand, to, to, to bring conviction into our hearts where we need it, and to let us see the things that you want us to, that we might walk fully and, and, and help bring the, the, the fullness of your reality into our own lives and into the lives of those around us. And, Lord, we trust that you'll do that because you are faithful. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so those four things. The first one, bold, persistent prayer. And we've, we've talked a little bit about prayer, so I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on, on all of the scripture. This is kind of an overview, all right? Um, but I do wanna kinda at least give us a little bit of a vision. The, the late Sidlow Baxter, he was an Australian pastor and theologian. He made a great statement. He said, Men may spurn our appeals, reject our message, oppose our arguments, despise our persons, but they are helpless against our prayers. I love that. 
What a, what a great, bold, confident statement about what God can do through our prayers. When we involve God through our prayers, all of the rules change. They just do. Everything comes out differently. You are likely familiar with the, the name Hudson Taylor. He was a British, British Christian missionary uh, to China. And he started the China Inland Mission. He was actually a, a missionary in China for more than 50 years. That's uh, slightly longer than how long Steve and Kathy were there. Uh, the, the organization that he... Slightly. The organization that he, he started brought over 800 missionaries into China. They started 125 schools. They were directly uh, responsible for more than 18,000 Christian conversions. They established more than 300 stations of work there in China with over 500 local helpers in all 18 provinces. All right, this was a massive work that God started through Hudson Taylor, and that's why we know his name. But most of us don't know a lot of the backstory, and there's some of that backstory that I think is, is pretty profound. Hudson Taylor uh, left for China at the ripe old age of 21, but three years before that, something that I think is pretty amazing happened. Let me just read you a few sentences. 18-year-old Hudson Taylor wandered into his father's library and read a gospel tract. He couldn't shake off its message. Finally, falling to his knees, he accepted Christ as his Savior. Later, whose mother had, who, uh, later his mother, who had been away for many days, returned home. When Hudson told her the, the good news, she said, I already know. Ten days ago, the very date on which you tell me that you read that tract, I spent the entire afternoon in prayer for you until the Lord assured me that my wayward son had been brought into the fold. Now, of course, we know that it was the Holy Spirit that drew Hudson Taylor to himself into a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But the impetus behind that was the prayers of his mother, those bold, persistent prayers for her son. The Bible says this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Hudson Taylor's mother apparently believed that. Now what does scripture say? God desires for all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. She's standing on that truth and she's praying for her son. When we involve God through our prayers, all the rules change, guys. My friend, Dave Helmuth, he is... Um, He's a missionary just recently now in Costa Rica. Dave and Heather have six kids. Their oldest son, Aspen, is 13. And they've only been in Costa Rica for like two or three months. I first met Dave many years ago. You guys might remember, uh, some of you might remember, Harry and Celeste Miller. Harry graduated from the School of Ministries, uh, actually pastored in San Antonio, Texas. Dave Helmuth was their worship leader. That's where I first met Dave many, many years ago. He spent probably the last 20 or so in the Lancaster, Pennsylvania area where I've gotten to know him pretty well. But long-time vision was to move to Costa Rica. That's where he was born with his missionary parents um, many years ago. And so two or three months ago, they actually, everything kind of came together and they've moved there. Well, you know, it's a family of eight and they're not going to get around in a small car, so they have to get a van and they're missionaries. They don't have a lot of money. So they buy a used van, and his concern from the very beginning was, you know, I want to make sure I got a van that's not going to have problems because we're in a foreign country and it's going to be difficult. So just recently, he wrote this. I got in the van this morning and couldn't get it in gear. It's a stick. 
I was instantly despondent. I'm not ready for another day at a mechanic and then a month without a vehicle. We have to ride the bus with our heavy groceries again and we can't take any family day trips and I have to try to work from home and my mind raced forward to a horrible month ahead. But I didn't even realize how I was actually feeling and how my countenance looked. But Heather all but rebuked me for bowing to despair so quickly. She lovingly and firmly prayed for me and reminded me of the truth of God's provision, trustworthiness, and complete lack of surprise over the clutch apparently not working. Aspen came out and I had him pump the clutch while I looked under the van to see if I could see anything obvious with my non-mechanic eyes. Then I got in the van and, threw, and, and thought I'd try it once more. What I didn't know was that Aspen had prayed for it while he was looking under it and when he stood up, he thanked the Lord for fixing it. It worked. I was able to shift gears as usual. But wait, there's more. I thought it'd be wise to take it to a mechanic to see if indeed there was anything wrong. My friend here couldn't have recommended a better mechanic. I described what had happened with trying it and then Aspen praying for it and then it working. He checked it and said how good of a vehicle it is and that the clutch looks perfectly good, doesn't even need any adjustments. So it doesn't work at all. Aspen prays for it, and now not only does it work, but the mechanic says it's perfectly fine, doesn't even need any adjustments. I, I somehow think that God intervened in that situation. And I read that thing initially and thought of the, the old hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. You know, as leaders, we think that prayer is a big deal. It's become increasingly important in my life in the last couple of years. Scripture tells us to continue steadfastly in prayer. Interesting quote, good quote, I think, from Bill Johnson. Some of you know I'm not a big Bill Johnson fan, but I'm ready to give credit where credit is due. Uh, he said this, Royalty is my identity. Servanthood is my assignment. Intimacy with God is my life source. I like that. You know, we talked a lot about... There's a problem with the, uh, the, the belt pack here, apparently, so if anybody wants to make a contribution to... Sorry. Um, <laughs> royalty is my identity. It's who we are in Christ. And servanthood, of course, that's what Jesus said. We're servants, just like him. But where, where does the strength for all that come from? Intimacy with God is my life source. And a big part of that intimacy with God is our connection with him in prayer. And that's why we've, we, we've changed the, the room out there to be a prayer room. Um, officially, and that's why this is a big part of what we're looking at this year is prayer. Second one, stepping out with expectation in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know, we've seen a, an increase in the gifts being used here in our services, and I, you know, clearly it's because of the, the recent sermon series that we did all about the gifts of the Spirit, but, but we don't want that to stop. We're convinced that there's more you know, if God's word is true, and I'm pretty sure it is, then we've only just scratched the surface, right? Man that's become a, a, a friend of mine, Tim Gray, pastor of City on a Hill Church in Arnold, he said this, if the Holy Spirit is the wind, we can't direct the wind, but we can set a sail. You know, I, I understand, I don't know anything at all about sailing, all right, but I'm pretty sure that if I were to go out on a lake to sail, it, I can't make the wind happen. Can't, but I can get the, the sail ready, so that if the wind does blow, so for you and me, 
we can intentionally and purposefully get ourselves ready so that when the Holy Spirit moves, we're ready to have him work through us. And I want to remind us this morning of the importance of the gifts. 1 Corinthians 14 so my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Two chapters before this, he tells us earnestly desire the higher gifts. The gifts of the Spirit are clearly not something that the Apostle Paul is, is, is telling us that we should ignore or even to just gloss over. No, he says earnestly desire. That's pretty strong language right there. You know, as I, I looked at, it's the same word that's used in both of those verses. And as I looked at that recently, I realized that, that one of the ways that, that that word is translated, that phrase is translated, is, is to be jealous over. I thought that was interesting. If you guys remember, I did a sermon not long ago where I talked about that God is jealous for us, that because we belong to him, he doesn't want anything to come between us. And I talked about that if you're, if you're married and you see somebody flirting with your spouse, of course, if you care at all about the relationship, of course there's going to be jealousy there. You're gonna step in because you don't want those affections to be drawn aside. And it's the same thing here. Don't get drawn aside by things that are less significant, if you will. Earnestly desire for the Holy Spirit to manifest his power through you. Don't stop pursuing that. Paul told Timothy, don't neglect the gift that you have. Second letter to Timothy, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Paul is clearly telling Timothy, don't let that gift just kind of slip away. Don't, don't, don't just let it go. Fan it into flame. I, I like the, the imagery there. It's the picture of a, a fire that's kind of dying out and you're, you're fanning it into flame. You know, we have, a, we have a wood stove at our house and sometimes I use a, a bellows, you know, that, that, that thing. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> trying to decide, how do, how do I do that? Yeah, uh, and, and I'm always amazed at how, how much of a difference that can make. Uh, you know, it's like the difference between the fire going out and all of a sudden it's just like a consuming blaze going on there uh, pretty quick, quickly that that can happen. And that's, that's what he's saying, fan it into flame. I mean, who knows, honestly, the, the difference that, that the words that the Holy Spirit, Spirit speaks through us can make in the life of a, another person. Read this from a, a woman named Connie Urban recently. She said this, One Sunday morning during a service, I felt drawn to a young mother behind me. I'd noticed her a few times but didn't know her name or anything about her. At first, I thought I was supposed to pray at our seats when the pastor gave the ministry call, but God said to ask her to go forward. I risked her saying no, especially since she didn't know me, but my job was to obey Holy Spirit. When the pastor asked us to stand, I turned and told her what I felt. She initially hesitated, but she said, okay, and asked me to go with her. Her eyes teared when the other minister and I prayed and gave her words of knowledge. Later, she said that she felt like going forward for several weeks and again that morning, but was too shy. She had just told the Lord if he wanted her to go to have someone else tell her. And then I turned around. You know, if you, if you don't think that God works in the life of individual believers, you know, you just need to hear some stories like that over and over. I mean, clearly God is at work in that situation. And God can use you to bring blessings and life into other people. You know, what we need to understand is that we, we need one another's gifts. Think about it like this. Think of a, imagine a big vine with lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots, and, did I say lots? Lots of leaves and all different colors. 
You know, there's, there's green, maybe different shades of green, from lime green to forest green, and there's varying shades of yellow and orange and burgundy and red and, and, and some leaves that have different ones of those kind of modeled in there and all, every one of them, them different. They're, they're all getting their, they're, they're attached to the vine. They're all getting their life from the vine. That's you and me. We're those leaves. We're, we're all different. We're all unique. God works through those, that uniqueness, if you will. You know, he's the one that gives us the, the varying gifts, if you will. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 11 talks about the different gifts. And then it says, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he will. So, so God is the one who makes us unique. He's also the one that gives us the gifts. Well, clearly those gifts are supposed to be different. They're not going to be the same. You know God in ways that nobody else does. And that doesn't make you extraordinary. It just makes you unique. It's okay. You've experienced him way, in ways that no one else has. Certainly not exactly the same way that somebody else has. So you have something of value, something unique that you bring both to the body and to the world. You know, I, a, a Christian counselor recently made a statement that kind of struck me. He said that there are four siblings in a family and you were to ask all four of them to describe the family, you will get four very different descriptions. And it's true. You know, they might have grown up in the same family, the same setting, the same environment, and yet each of us sees differently, each of us thinks differently, each of us has different emotions, different perspectives, different personalities. And because of that, we're each unique. We're each different. So uh, uh, I, I've said this before, this whole, this whole idea reminds me of, of the writings and of the, the people that wrote scripture. You know, if you read Paul's writings, guess what? It sounds like Paul. You read Peter's writings, it doesn't sound anything like Paul at all. It sounds like Peter. And God uses that to work through. And so every one of us has something unique to bring to the table, if you will. You know, even if you, even if you have a gift that's, that's very much the same as somebody else, you're gonna flavor it differently. It's gonna be different. If I say something, you might say something that's very similar, but you're gonna say it in a way that's going to be different than the way that I can. You're gonna bring a nuance to it that's going, and so we need all of those different things. I don't have all of the gifts, you don't have all of the gifts, but guess what, all together, we do. You with me? And so we need to bring all of those things. We need to be desiring those gifts. We need to be fanning them into flame. We need to be, be stirring them up, if you will. And so we're gonna be talking about that idea through the course of 2020. Number three, walking in unity. Don't get me started on this one. You guys all know this is a, a hot topic for me, but I recognized something recently that I hadn't recognized, at least not, I guess, to the degree that I, I do now. Um, unity was actually the, the primary thing that caused this place to come into being. It was not the School of Ministries. It was not Bible and Literacy League. I mean, think about it. Ron Sutton was one of the original founders. His, his, uh, his father-in-law was actually the guy that, that located this piece of property. When Ron came, he brought his ministry to troubled teens. Bob brought the School of Ministries. Uh, Lynn brought Bible and Literacy League. Other people had other, you know, smaller pieces. Over the years, lots of other things. But the whole idea was that this would be a place where ministries could come together in unity and work together. That's really, I think, in a lot of ways, the heart of God. You know, so much so that, that 
uh, it would have been many years ago now, there was a gathering here that brought together many of the key leaders of the time, especially charismatic, um, trying to talk about what could it look like if we were to work together? What, what, what could unity really look like? And I, I just, I find it interesting that 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 was really the, the founding heart, that that's so much my heart, but it's not about me or even the founding fathers of this place. Guess what? That's God's heart. Jesus prayed that we would be one. And so for, for me, this whole, this one, this idea that we're walking in unity, to me, this is a no-brainer. Of course, this should be part of what we're, we're emphasizing because it's so much a part of, of God's heart. You know, I was, I was recently talking with... Uh, Andy Weaver, pastor of Hillsborough Christian, and he was talking about how often we as Christians have a tendency to, to do something based on the cost-benefit ratio. What, you know, is what I'm going to get out of this worth the investment? I'm not even talking about money, all right, just, you know, whether it's time or emotion, whatever. Um, and so he said a lot of times, you know, we'll look at something and we'll say, eh, probably not. Well, he made an interesting statement in the midst of that conversation. He said, we want to do the right thing because it's the right thing. N not, not because it's something I'm going to get out of it, but because it's the right thing. And guess what? Walking in unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ is the right thing. Whether that's here under this roof together or in the greater body of Christ, doesn't make any difference. It's still the right thing. That's why we, we pray for other churches here in the area. Even those that we don't agree with theologically on every issue of doctrine, guess what? We're still part of the same body. It's the right thing. So, so let, me, let me give you just one verse to kind of make this a little bit more practical here this morning for us together. First uh, John 5.16, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. You know, my experience has been and I don't know so much here as it has, I've seen it in other places. Uh, my experience has been that oftentimes when, when somebody sees a sin in the life of somebody else, what is the normal method of operation? Talk to other people about it. Shun that person. What does this say we're supposed to do? We're supposed to pray. Yeah. Do you think it would make a difference in how we walk together in unity if we really did that? I think it would. And so I want to challenge us this morning to really see this whole idea of walking together in unity as a priority for us for 2020. And then the last one, living in righteousness. You know, we spent a lot of time last year talking about who we are in Christ. And this, living in righteousness, is really where the rubber meets the road in that whole idea because if we really understand who we are in Christ, it's going to cause us to live more righteously. I've been, been reading a book entitled Supernatural by Michael S. Heiser. Thank you, Stephen. Um, and uh, Heiser said this, living consciously as though our lives represent God and further his plans, even if we don't yet see that plan, would change the way we approach each day. He's right. Or this, consciously thinking of ourselves as God's agents means the decisions that we make matter. Christians no longer lost in sin can fulfill God's plan with the help of the Holy Spirit. We are a glimpse either of life with God or of a life without God. There's no middle ground. He's saying that how we live matters. We, we understand, we can't make ourselves more acceptable to God. Only, only the death and resurrection of Jesus does that, right? Okay, 
I want to make sure that we're, we're together on that. But we can demonstrate to a watching world what Christ followers really look like. And that's whether we're on our job or in the marketplace or driving our car or wherever we might be. And that comes about as we recognize who we are in Christ. If we really know who we are. You know, I've had people tell me that we, 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 we should live more righteously out of a sense of gratitude. That we're, we're thankful for what God has done for us and therefore we're going to live more righteously. Well, gratitude is a, a, a good and positive motivator, but it's only a temporary motivator. You know, I might be really grateful for the wonderful meal that my wife just prepared for me, but by the time I'm hungry again, that gratitude is going to be gone. It's only a temporary motivator. Over the long haul, we need something more. There's a, there's a popular song right now on the radio. Uh, it's called Holy Water. It's by uh, We the Kingdom. And the bridge says, I don't want to abuse your grace. God, I need it every day. It's the only thing that ever really makes me want to change. And it repeats that a couple of times. I don't want to abuse your grace. God, I need it every day. It's the only thing that ever really makes me want to change. And it's true. When we recognize what he's done for us, it makes us want to be different. When we see what, what Christ has done for us, when we see, uh, see ourselves as he sees us, when we, when we understand that in fact we have been made his children, his heirs, his family, his bride, we're his chosen treasure. We are accepted by him. We are loved by him. You know, if we really get that, it's going to change how we think and how we act. It has to. See, everything that we have, everything that we are, is totally by his grace. We can't, in and of ourselves, make ourselves any better on our own strength. We just can't. But walking in the reality of what Christ has already done for us will change us. Now, some people would say that those who advocate for ideas like I just said are not being realistic, that there's, there's a bigger picture, if you will, um, after all, 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, I discipline my body and I keep it under control. The NIV says, I beat my body and make it my slave. That sounds pretty serious. And yes, I know that scripture and there are others that are like that, but Paul clearly explains the, 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 the motivation, the strength behind that idea in his letter to the Colossian church. He says that he's working, he's working hard, but really, it's Christ that's working in him. Colossians 1.29. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Yes, he's giving it his, his best effort. Yes, he's working. But at the same time, Paul recognizes that it's really Christ at work within him. You know, it's a truth that, that I come back to just about every day when Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, I got nothing on my own, guys. Sorry, I just don't. And I may feel at times like I'm working really, really hard, but the fact is that there, if there is any forward progress at all, guess what? It's his work in me. It's his power at work within me. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. You know, honestly, as a dead person, I don't have the inclination. I don't have the gumption. I don't have the strength. I don't have the desire to, to, to live righteously. I just don't. But Christ in me does. And that's why I keep pressing toward him. It's his work. And that doesn't mean that I, that I just sit back and watch him, that I don't have any, any role in this whole thing. No. In fact, we should be working, and I think working hard, 
to live righteously, but we have to recognize that all of our best efforts are still him working through us. Another Tim Gray quote here. Why engage God's word today? Why go to a church service tomorrow? Why access Jesus in prayer? Because without intentionality, we don't drift into holiness. Whew. He's right. There are clear and definite steps to walking more fully in righteousness and they don't just kind of happen on their own. I find it interesting to note how often the New Testament writers use the, the phrase above reproach, above reproach. Now reproach is not a word that we use a lot in our culture, so I actually looked it up. Um, the, the, the noun ver, uh, form of, of reproach is the expression of disapproval or disappointment. The verb form of reproach is to address someone in such a way as to express disapproval or disappointment. Either way, above reproach means you're living above those things. You, you, you're with me on that? I mean, that was kind of tricky, wasn't it? Okay, it wasn't all that hard. So, so being a rough reproach means that we're living in a way that the world sees that we're different, that we're not like them, if you will, that we're living righteously. That's what we're talking about here. But again, it's not in our own strength. Th- think, of, think about it this way. Um, uh, Jesus in John 15, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. In order to bear fruit, we have to be connected to the vine, Right? Okay, so a lot of us, when we think of that verse, we're talking, Jesus talked about bearing fruit. A lot of times we think as Christians, we think um, that he's talking about other people coming into the kingdom of God. And that's a form of fruit, I get that. And, and it's valid, I just don't think that's the whole picture here. Because I, think about it, what, 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 what's the fruit of the spirit? Things like gentleness and patience and self-control and goodness. Th- those all sound like living righteously to me. But, but what, what Jesus is saying is that we can't do those things without him unless we're, we're attached to him. Uh, some time ago, I heard um, R.C. Sproul talk about this idea. And he said that from his understanding that it was th- this whole idea is by degrees. The more attached that we are, the more fruit that we're going to bear. The more intimate our relationship with God, the more fruit that we're going to bear. So think of it conversely. If the branch is broken and it's just barely hanging on, guess what? We're not going to bear a lot of fruit. You with me? Yeah, so we need that, that relationship in order to have those things manifested in our lives, that goodness, that patience, that self-control. It's only through him, through his strength, through his power at work within us that we can live righteously. All right, so that's those four things. But let me show you something here because I think it's important for us to understand that these are not just for isolated, stand-on-their-own kind of ideas that they intermingle, they, they mix together, if you will. So let me just take two of them to start off here to, to kind of give you an idea. Um, how often do you pray, talking about bold, persistent prayer, to live more righteously? Someone said, isn't it odd that while praying, we seldom ask for a change of character, but frequently ask for a change in our circumstances? Ooh. Is this just me that I'm talking to here? You know, I, I, I read um, just recently, it was an interesting, uh, uh, it was an article talking about um, prayer, but it said that there, there was a recent survey done that showed that, that in general, African Americans pray more often than Caucasians. And I thought that was interesting, but those of you that went on the St. Louis mission trip, 
probably all of us, understand that in general, African Americans have a tougher go of life, have difficult, more difficult circumstances than generally Caucasian. That's not across the board always true, all right? But in general, it's true. And so what are, they do? what are they doing? They're praying for a change in their circumstances. And I'm not telling you not to pray for a change in your circumstances. I'm saying that maybe change, praying for a change in your character might be a higher goal. Oh, it's getting quiet in here. Let me, let me do this from a little different angle. See, I think that whole character issue of living righteously, I think this is kind of important for us. Um, most of you know the, the name Laura Cooper. It's Ashley Kreuter's mother. Uh, uh, she used to teach at our school. Laura told me a while back that uh, something that I said years ago really changed her whole perspective on teaching, and I didn't even realize it. It was kind of crazy. Um, the, the, the CAS report cards, uh, I'm assuming they're still the same. It's like this 8.5 by 11 folded card stock, and on the front is the information about the student. Inside are the classes that they currently have and the grades that they're currently getting. On the back is a bunch of character issues where the teacher kind of rates how well they're doing on those character issues. I, you know, the first time that I ever saw that, David, you know, it would have been, we're talking many years ago. This was the first report card I had ever seen from one of my kids. And I looked at that and it totally flabbergasted me. I, I had never, I, I spent nine years in public schools and then the last three in a Christian school, but still had never seen anything like that. And I looked at that and I thought, this is the really important thing right here. And so whenever Barb and I would go in to talk to a teacher at cost and they would, we would get the report card, that was the first thing I did. I flipped to the back. So fast forward, years later, Amy is in Laura Cooper's class for the very first time. We go in to meet with her for the first time. She gives me the report card, and I flip it over to the back. Laura has never seen anybody do this before, and she's got to ask why. And I said, I'll, I'll just be honest. I said, I want my kids to do well in school. I want them to have good grades on the inside. But this where we're talking about how they're interacting with teachers, how they're interacting with the other students, how they're, they're, they're caring for one another. This is way more important for me. I want my kids to walk in godly character. Are you with me? So if we say that this is important, and I think you guys are all with me, then why aren't we praying that we live more righteously? Are you following me? Bold, persistent prayer that we, instead of changing our circumstances, we change our character. Let me, let, me, let me try a little different angle. Um, read you a few sentences here. Early African converts to Christianity were earnestly and regularly in private devotions. Each one reportedly had a separate spot in the thicket where he would pour out his heart to God. Over time, the paths to these places became well-worn. As a result, if one of these believers began to neglect prayer, it was soon apparent to the others. They would kindly remind the negligent one, brother, the grass grows on your path. What if you and I had such strong relationships, strong, loving relationships, we're walking in unity, we're, we're talking about that, okay? What, what if we had those kind of relationships so much that we could say, brother, the grass grows on your path and not be offended by it? We're talking living righteously, okay? You following me? These things work together. They're not separate entities. What if... What if we cared so deeply about each other, that we're loving each other, we're walking in unity, that we're regularly and consistently praying for each other to walk in more godliness? So it's not just we're praying for ourselves, we're praying for others. We're talking prayer, godliness, unity, 
all right there in that one. What, what, if, what if we were motivated by love to step out and use the gifts of the Holy Spirit to bless each other's lives? See, these things work together. And we're convinced that as we see these things growing more and more in our lives, that there's gonna be a change, not only in us, but in our community. It has to happen, are you with me? Bold, persistent prayer. Stepping out with, the expect, with expectation in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Walking in unity and living in righteousness. Let's pray. Father, this morning, as we have looked at what we believe you're speaking to us for this, this year, 2020, God, perhaps as we've, as we've listened, we've been convicted. Perhaps we've heard things that um, you're nudging us toward. God, w- would you, in your mercy, cause us to see these things with new eyes and, and give us the, the strength to walk in them the way that you want us to? Lord, we, we desire to be more bold and more persistent in our prayers, and we're asking that you would, would bring that about. God, we want to we wanna expectantly step out in the gifts that you have called us to, to stir up, to eagerly desire, and we're asking, God, that you would cause that to become more and more of a reality. We, we, we want to we be part of the answer to your prayer where you ask that we would be one. Lord, would you cause us more and more to walk in unity with our, with our brothers and sisters here and even in the greater body of Christ. And Lord, we desire to to live more righteously, that our lives would reflect who you are more and more. God, we can't do those things on our own. And so we're asking that you would more and more empower us by your word, by your spirit, that we might walk in the fullness of all that you have for us. And God, we trust you to do that because you are faithful. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.